Hello, hello, and a big CMO convo welcome to the show from CMO Alliance, where we have big chats about everything marketing leaders are facing today. This time, we're joined by Jeff Beisman, dual CMO of National Debt Relief and Reach Financial, and we're talking about the CMO magnifying glass. In other words, the amount of scrutiny and pressure you might be under from just about every part of the business. Stay tuned as Jeff has plenty of advice on how to channel this pressure into opportunities to grow and succeed. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Hey, well, I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me. Like, awesome to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us because it's a it's a very very it's a very very interesting topic we're talking about, and I think it's one that's on the mind of a lot of CMOs out there. And that's the the CMO magnifying glass. Like, it's how you operate when you're under so much scrutiny from different parts of the business, which is going to be relevant to CMOs in just about any industry and any any company size as well. This applies in startups. It applies in big multinational corporations. But before we get down to that, Jeff, maybe you'd like to introduce yourselves to our audience, tell us a bit about yourself and why we're speaking to you today. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, so, Jeff Beisman, I am uh, a dual CMO, if, if uh, there is such a thing. So, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer for National Debt Relief, which is a uh, debt settlement company. Uh, we help a lot of people get out of debt. Um uh, in fact, over the course of more than 10 years, we've helped, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and resolved about $10 billion in debt. So it's an amazing service uh, for people that are facing an uphill battle. Uh, and I'm also the CMO at Reach Financial, which is a sister company. Uh, Reach Financial is a fintech, uh, today a personal loan lender, but uh, we aspire to have more products in the future. So I uh, got my hands full in two businesses. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. And I feel like the, the businesses that you're involved with make this extra relevant because not only are you under a lot of scrutiny internally, you've, you've clearly got a lot of regulations, a lot of scrutiny on the outside to deal with at the same time. So let, let's talk about what it means to be operating under the CMO magnifying glass. What does, what does that mean to you? What do you think it means to sort of CMOs around the world right now? Yeah, so I think it's more challenging than ever. To, to be a, a CMO. And that is not a net or a gripe or anything like that. It's just uh, the way I like to look at it is it is what it is. Uh, the, the, the charter uh, or the mission of a CMO is, uh, is potentially really, really broad. Um, and it's evolved significantly. There is a, a massive amount of focus on, on results and revenue. And that may sound uh, somewhat like, you know, water is wet. Um, <laughs> having said that, it's it's changed substantially. And a lot of it is that um, every dollar that's invested needs to be accounted for. And so uh, CMO is really, really almost like your proxy for uh, head of sales or revenue uh, to a large degree. And so you know, that puts a lot of pressure on the position to deliver results and not just deliver them on a one-time basis, but continuously. Uh, and so that, that's been probably the biggest uh, evolution, I should say, uh, of, of the seat over the last 25 or 30 years. And, and it's not just keep delivering the same level. You've got to keep growing as well. Like you can't just keep coasting along. You've got to keep have that, that upward trend as well, which is extra pressure, of course. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, it's interesting. I really, I know that there's been recently over the last five plus years, the emergence of the chief growth officer, but in many ways, I, I felt the roles have been synonymous. Uh, 
and and some would argue that they're not. But what I mean by that is a really good CMO is obsessed with growth. That's all they think about is building a, a sturdy company that is capable of growing uh, and not just today, but also into the future. Um, and, and so that's been the major, again, evolution in the role is really this maniacal focus all the time on growth, 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 and all eyes are on the CMO uh, to deliver those results. And then a lot of the time, CMOs don't really have, they don't have the option to sort of focus on long-term growth and other activities that think long-term because they've got to respond to the immediate needs of the company. And if they don't respond to the needs of the company, a lot of the time they're out of there. CMOs have the shortest tenure of any C-suite executive. So that level of pressure has got to be huge to deal with. It is. It's a. It's an awesome point that you're making because, um, you know, people joke all the time about changing the wheels on a car when it's going 80 miles an hour down the freeway. And sometimes that's what you're trying to do. Which said, uh, a little more operationally, you've got to have a foot in today and right now and delivering results, and sometimes minute to minute while you're spending time thinking two to five years out and really focusing on strategy and innovation and leapfrogging the competition. Uh, and so it really is, it's a big balancing act. It's fun, uh, but it requires a significant amount of discipline. Otherwise, you know, if a company is highly operationally focused and that's all, you're just kind of in the moment. And you're operating within the boundaries, and there's only so far you can go. Um, and if a company isn't really highly operationally focused in the moment, you risk not delivering those results and not focusing on today and getting revenue today, not two years from now. So you may be trying to build a ship, but you got to be able to navigate with your little uh, your little canoe uh, and get the best you can out of it. And you've got to navigate a lot of different types of currents just to continue with the the metaphor i suppose yeah. um <laughs> because you, you you are beholden to all these different parts of the business like marketing touches so many different parts of a business you're not just reporting directly to the ceo you've got to keep your cro happy you've got to get, keep your head of product happy you've got to keep the cfo happy of course so all these different demands you've got to feel stretched surely like how do you deal with that kind of kind of situation yeah, you, you do. And, and I think, again, um, you know, it, it really does keep you sharp because, um, I, I, again, uh, my, my C-suite brethren uh, and, and other functions may, may argue the same point, and, and, uh, and I, I respect that. But if you think about the conversations that you're having throughout the day, they can toggle from, you know, technology to finance to sales to you name it. And the ability to be conversant uh, and speak in currency is incredibly important in the CMO role. Uh, and I think it used to be a little bit less so, but again, with the, the, the ability to like manage and track every dollar that's invested and the heavy reliance on technology and the interdependence that's always in there between sales and marketing, uh, you're constantly like shifting gears uh, and needing to have a conversation that is typically in the language 
of the person that you're you're talking to. Again, finance, product, technology, sales, uh, and making it meaningful for them. So, you know, some would say challenging, some would say difficult. I say it's fun. Uh, because again, you're playing a lot of mental gymnastics. You're again, switching gears, uh, and you're operating on both hemispheres of your brain, almost like (laughs) continuously like this back and forth. So it's, uh, it's really, really neat. I I suppose it kind of goes back to sort of like the principles of marketing. When you think about tailoring your message to the person, speaking to them in the language that they understand. So yeah. CMOs, they're not just doing marketing externally, they're doing marketing internally as well. But I suppose one of the differences when you're marketing externally, you've got the advantage to be able to sit down, do a lot of research about what your target audience is, really get into their mindset on before you even release any kind of content or any kind of messaging. You don't have that advantage necessarily when it's internally. As you said, you, you have to switch constantly. You've said it's fun. How did you get into that kind of mindset that is fun? That how did you get into that, develop those skills to be able to switch tack like that? Uh, I, 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 I think it just becomes instinctual or second nature because, you know, I, I, I think a lot of CMOs um, learn by trial and error and you know, when you're having conversations with with folks and you're not speaking in their language and you don't understand their currency, you learn really quickly that there's a disconnect. And, it, you know, if you've got some good intuition, you'll know you don't have alignment. So I, I've learned along the way, and it's something I talk to my folks about all the time. When you're talking to, you know, finance, you're talking about investments that are driving ROI and profitability. You know, keep it that simple. When you're talking to sales, you're talking about how am I going to get you revenue right now? How am I going to make things easier for your sellers? Uh, When you're talking to products, uh, you're having a very different conversation that's probably a little bit more technical uh, in, in nature. And so when you're not doing that, people don't get it because everyone, including marketers, they all live in their worlds. Uh, and sometimes it's difficult to to stretch. So you have to meet, I hate to say it, you have to meet your audience where they are. Uh, and that is not uh, an insult to the audience. It's just, you know, put yourself in the CMO shoes or the uh, CFO shoes, rather. He wants to hear that I'm going to make the company money and I'm going to be a responsible steward for uh, investments. That's the conversation that we need to have. Um, and so that's sometimes where there's misalignment is, uh, you, you speak about things with conviction in terms of how you view them as a marketer and not everybody else. So, so for example, an example of that would be, um, brand building activities. For example, you talked mm-hmm. about how everything, every old, every dollar has to be attributable. You have to be able to see the ROI. How do you, you can't necessarily show the ROI of brand building activities, at least not in, in the short term by a long shot. So how do you communicate those kinds of things, those, those non-performance driven types of marketing in a way that's that's clear and communicable to other parts of the business? Like the, the CRO, he just wants to know, they just well, they just want to know how many leads you're going to be generating. They don't care about brand awareness and um and NPS scores and stuff like that. They they want to know when is the next sale coming through. They don't care that's, about the brand. That's absolutely right. I mean, it's it's a it's such a fabulous point. And I'd say it's one of the top three biggest challenges that 
uh, a modern CMO or any marketer has today. Um, with, with, you know, again, every investment being scrutinized, there's an ability to track sometimes, maybe not, uh, not the right way to do it, but, but it, it's, it's done in that way. And so when you start talking about things that deliver value, but are a little bit harder to quantify, it's a, it's a challenging conversation to connect those dots from, from top to bottom. So what I've tried to do is make it as concrete as possible. Um, and, and when you're talking about building a brand, uh, you're talking about moving metrics that at some point are accretive to the bottom line. The trick is to explain what those changes in those metrics literally will mean for revenue today, next quarter, or, or next year. Uh, and and it, it's a challenging exercise. But when I, I talk about brand building and brand investments, I don't talk about it as a feeling. I talk about it more as a concrete concept and these are the things, these are the metrics that we're looking to move. It's not just unaided and aided awareness, which is great, but uh, first choice, right? Brand of choice in your category, um, uh, sentiment, uh, things like professionalism, trustworthiness, uh, you know, interest in doing business with a company. Um, because you know, when you move those things, they do tend to fall in line uh, with your overall sales and revenue curve. Uh, so there is some correlation. So when you can start to not just get at the highest level of you know brand building and what those metrics look like, but very specific things that are tied to revenue, then that's a better conversation, in my opinion. It sounds like those kinds of conversations take some degree of trust. So does it does it take building sort of like a very firm personal relationship with the different stakeholders? Like how important is that within businesses for a CMO? Yeah, it, it's incredibly important, right? No matter, I think for for anybody in any job, right? You can be you could be right, and you could be a a wizard in your job, but not trusted or the perception is not trustworthy and none of it matters. So building strong relationships, letting people know that you're on their side uh, and imparting or understanding why some of these things are fundamentally important for a company to be able to not just, you know, uh, make numbers today, but make numbers tomorrow and, and, and you know into the future and, and build something that is uh, defensible with escape velocity. Uh, you can't just you can't just lay it on people. You really got to spend time with them, uh, engendering trust. And and I I also believe in again everybody's busy with their day to day. So you pop in and you tell them something about why this is important. And they may or may not have heard you, but you have to stay on message. There, there's this um, rule of fifty that I ascribe to, which is you just got to stay on your stay on your platform and keep talking about it again and again and again. Um, and and that that tends to work because it sinks in over time. Uh, so consistency uh, is very very important. I suppose it goes back to again to what we said talking about uh, speaking to 
other stakeholders in, sort of in, the, in a shared language and a shared way of communicating. So you're not trying to pull the wool over their eyes with nonsense marketing jargon or, or vanity metrics that sound quite exciting. You're, you're showing them in terms that they understand and terms that they trust as well. Like using the, the language that they trust is going to make them trust the ideas you're presenting, surely. Yeah, you're, you're right. Again, a very astute point. Um, marketers tend to speak in buzzwords and jargon. And, you know, I have to stop myself sometimes and, and, and not do that. And I'm constantly coaching my team to filter out that kind of language and just explain it in its simplest terms. Um, and, you know, when you're talking amongst yourselves, go ahead and use your marketing speak and your buzzwords and your jargon. But again, it goes back to currency. That's not currency, right? Like some buzzword about brand and blah, 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 blah is just literally like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 you know, with, a, you know, your CFO or your, your head of sales. And I'm not saying they don't care and they don't find that important. But again, just think about their day-to-day -day lives and think about the pressures that they have. Uh, and so that's just, again, that's just noise. So make it really, really concrete and really simple. And I suppose it's a two-way street as well, that you want them to be communicating their needs to you in a clear way. Like you don't need like the, the sales jargon or finance jargon being thrown at you. You need to know what metrics you need to be affecting and how you, and then it's up to you to work out how to affect them. And if you don't know what those metrics are, then you can't you can't affect them, I suppose. Correct. I mean, you're raising an, an interesting point. It, one of the things that I've done over the last, it's kind of been an evolution over the last five, 10 years, is get everybody in the marketing department, no matter what their role is. You may be a creative and you may never have to touch numbers or uh, you may not, you may be abstracted from working with sales or product or you may just be disciplined in one channel and one thing, but everybody needs to sort of hear it and see it and, and, you know, understand it because again, this is, this is a machine and the machine, the parts inside of the machine need to all come together and click. And so when you're abstracted from those conversations and you don't understand it, I don't think you're as effective. So I really try to get the entire marketing department to what understand what's important to finance, what's important to sales, what's important to product and technology, anybody else in the organization, uh, because we're all stewards of, of, of what we're trying to get done. And I think we're more effective because of that. And I mean, that, that kind of cohesive look at the business world kind of made sense when most companies were all operating in the same location like how do you ensure company alignment in a world of hybrid and remote work when you've got teams that are separated by by continents even like how do you how do you ensure people are working towards the in the same direction yeah you're you're hitting on all the hot buttons today i gotta, I gotta <laughs> give you time and credit because like here we are uh you're you're literally across the pond and i'm i'm pointing towards the pacific here and we're having this conversation <laughs> which uh is is remarkable and i'll tell you a quick story if you got a second yeah go for it the the, the tech the hardware and the software that we have is just it, it's remarkable so if you're entering the workforce today uh and and you you've never experienced anything but this this is 
this is a revelation. Like this is, we're, we're living in a remarkable time to, uh, to be, um, uh, to be working. And, and it's, it's interesting. I think if we had had COVID happen 20 years ago, it would have literally shut business down. Uh, but somehow we made it. And, and it's because we all had access to this technology. 15 years ago, I remember when I was working for Bank of America, we contracted with Cisco and we bought all of this remarkable high definition uh, video conferencing hardware. And it was hundreds of thousands of dollars per installation. And again, to bring it back to the present, I have a $50 HD camera I'm like staring at uh, and I see you on my screen and we have no buffering or no issues. And so it's it's awesome. But to your question, it's really, really challenging. And I wish I could say that I've cracked the code in how to how to make it work, because marketing specifically is a function where people benefit from being together in the same room. You get more creativity. uh, You just get more done, I think. And so. There are two or three things that we're doing now that are necessary uh, for us to be successful. One is almost like over-communicating, you know, like you, you've got to do it. And, and so your meeting schedule is more packed. Mine is more than ever. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think that, that working at home and it's just back to back and you can't breathe. But when you think about what you're doing, you don't have that benefit of the water cooler conversation or the drive-by, they don't exist today. Uh, and so you've got to schedule time to get everybody up to speed. And then secondarily is if at all possible, you cannot live in a 100% remote culture. It is, it is really in the long run going to have a negative impact on the business. Um, uh, culturally, I think people feel like they're on an island. They don't feel connected. Uh, and it's it's very, very difficult. So you almost have to force in persons. Uh, and we're we're working on a cadence where three to four times a year we're going to get our marketing folks together. We're geographically distributed. We're all in the u s, which is great, but across all time zones. Uh, and and I don't want to say we're forcing the issue because I think people are craving it and they want to do it. But if you're not thinking about that, uh, I think I'd suggest that you take a look at getting your marketing team together, any other team in, in, in a company together with some frequency. I suppose that, yeah, those company all hands, I suppose, are things that can't really happen in a hundred percent remote, like a, a company town hall, for example, to address any kind of major issues and really see what kind of issues are preventing alignment. You need those kinds of in-person events where everyone gets together. Like, you're not going to get the same kind of candor, I suppose, honesty that you would get in get on a Zoom call. I think people are a bit more nervous about speaking out, whereas in a town hall situation, I think people are a bit more encouraged to do that kind of thing. Um, and the same could be said in terms of uh, board meetings, I suppose. I suppose having in-person board meetings on a fairly regular basis has got to be quite important to ensure alignment. It, it, it has. It absolutely is. And there, there are times I've, I've, I've made choices to fly across the country, across the U.S., to be in a room with folks. And it's an easy thing to say, I'll just do it on video. Um, but but the the impact is so much greater. You can't do it all the time for, for every meeting. Yeah. But 
Um, I, I will make that choice. Uh, and I'll encourage my folks to make that choice. Some people a little gun shy around travel and expenses, but I think the good so outweighs the bad in like circling the important things and saying, I'm gonna be there physically for that. Instead of just saying, it's fine, I got a camera, I'll dial in. I think you miss a lot. Uh, and it's even the little things like the nuance of crosstalk and body language. Uh, it's very, very difficult uh, over, over a video call. A lot easier to manage to when you're in a room with people. For sure, for sure. Um, for me, like the main thing I miss from in-person meetings, I see you've got a whiteboard in the background, is those whiteboard sessions, those brainstorming sessions, which can happen within the marketing team. They can happen cross to, interdepartmentally as well. They can happen in the boardroom as well. Like So you can't do that on a Zoom. You can't really get into sort of like the, the nitty gritty of brainstorming that you can with a, a good old whiteboard and a pen kind of thing. Yeah, you know, you know, it's another fascinating point. If you look at generally the, the origins of, of a whiteboard session, sometimes they're planned and it's like we're going to get on a whiteboard and figure this out. Sometimes they start as a casual conversation. Mm -hmm. Imagine trying to do that over video. You're having a casual, you're going to call somebody and have a casual conversation with them and have it turn into a whiteboard session. It just doesn't happen with the, yeah. the frequency or the regularity that it might if you were in a room or you drop by somebody's office. Um, it's hard when you're trying to like schedule that, you know, in person, because again, the office environment, a lot of the things, the goodness that came out of like working in a physical space with people together was the organics of it. Right. Like I said earlier, it's like, oh my gosh, I had a conversation with finance this morning, uh, Will, and they said, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? And that ends that, that, that develops into a discourse that might then get into, let's whiteboard that out and figure out how we're going to do it. For sure, for sure. It's harder yeah. to do when you're remote. Yeah, just a little so, bit, just uh, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Jeff, we've talked a lot about best practices so far, but surely there's only so far best practices can carry you. What, what should CMOs, is there a time when CMOs just know that alignment is impossible. And what do you do in that situation? Do you just walk away from the company? Do you go above people to the CEO? Like you don't have to name names for people that you've had these kinds of issues with, if you have had these issues, but it'd be good to get your perspective on it. Yeah. So uh, I will, I will tell you just uh, uh, straight up, uh, you don't walk away from a company. I mean, I'm not saying never, uh, there, there may be a, a situation that where, you know, it, nothing can be resolved or whatever, whatever. I don't even want to list the instances, but the, the answer is not to walk away. The answer is not to go above your peers. I will never do that um, because you're, you're, you're sort of, you're failing at what you need to do, which is to get alignment. Now you may not always get complete agreement. And I think that that is fine. I actually think that's healthy. Uh, you know, as an example, me and my peer that runs sales, our chief sales officer, we have a wonderful relationship, but, you know, we, we have both openly talked about the idea that there ought to be healthy tension uh, uh, between us, not discord, not disagreement, but if we're not totally aligned on everything, hey, that's okay. 
right? Like, I think it's important that we're focusing on this. And, you know, my counterpart might, may say, I don't, I don't agree with that. But you have to have your conviction. You have to do what you can uh, to, to, you know, in the best interest of the business. And realize that sometimes people see it a little bit differently. You don't want to have complete discord. Then you got real problems. But it's okay to have a little bit of tension and disagreement or around path. And you're never going to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I suppose the, the challenges is how we grow as well. Like if you're, if you're too comfortable in your role, like are you actually growing in that role at the end of the day? Like you need those kinds of challenges and those resistances to work against, I suppose, to grow as a, as a leader, as a CMO. I would agree. I would argue. Uh, and I think this is part of the point that you're making is when you're not challenged, when there is intention, uh, when you're not, you know, sometimes doing something you've never done before, you're not developing and growing. Uh, and that's not in your best interest and it's not in the company's best interest. So it is important to, to, to be able to constantly challenge uh, and challenge your peers and have those sometimes hard conversations. And, and I suppose it pushes you to be more, more creative as well. That if you're just ticking the boxes and letting things trundle along, basically just like, keeping the wheels greased to keep the machine moving. Like you're not improving the machine at the end of the day. You're not exploring new avenues and new options that could make the machine run more efficiently or go faster. Yeah. And, and when you're not doing that, you might want to have a conversation with yourself about maybe this, maybe it's time to move on. Because again, we'll go back to, I think, a, a, a seminal point you made. The charter of a modern CMO is all about growth. And growth is not about just continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting, you know, growth's not linear. And that's a mistake that a lot of people make is to see it as a completely linear path to go from wherever you are from X to Y. Never happens like that. And so if you're not constantly innovating and pushing, then you're going to top out. And if that's what you want and you're like, I don't really feel it, then it's not the right job for you anymore. Definitely, definitely. And um, there's there's always that classic quote of uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. So if you're doing the same thing over and over and just expecting them to get better and better, then I'm not going to call you insane, but you're probably doing the wrong thing at least. It, it's insane. It actually is. I will <laughs> I will I will call I will call it that. And um, by the way, your competition isn't doing that. You know, so you, you've got to think about it like that. Uh, and it is a conversation you constantly talk about alignment. You have to have with your peers is, you know, we can't just keep doing the things that we've done before and expect that you're going to get from, you know, a million to 10 million, 10 to 50, 50 to 100. It does not work like that. Uh, and if people are living in the old, or they're constantly living in the present, then you got to shake it up and you got to challenge them. And that's back to the, I think we were talking earlier about, you know, this delicate balance between being in the here and now and delivering results and also just like never being satisfied and constantly like challenging and pushing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's incredibly important if you're in a CMO role. And I suppose it's not just about challenging yourself. You also got to be willing to challenge the other parts of the business to do better as well. Like if you 
see ways that sales can be improved. You have to be able to speak to your head of sales about how they can be improved from your perspective. Same with product development, same with the, the technology that you have available at the company, like being able to challenge that yeah, person. You, Go on, Jeff. Go on. You have to be courageous. And it's a really difficult thing for some folks. You know, like I am, I am by nature not that guy that's going to go you know, poke at my peers and and uncover, you know, look under every rock and find everything that's wrong. I don't do that. But you have to have a little bit of the, hey, I think we could do better here, or I don't think that this is good enough um, in a way that is healthy and respectful. Because, you know, we I know we've talked a little bit about the CMO role and, and scrutiny, the scrutiny is everywhere, right? And sometimes the scrutiny isn't always like great. It's not fun, uh, but you have to realize where it's coming from. And so it's important that you're able to deliver that message without it looking like you're trying to like submarine somebody, cut out their legs, you know, you're, you're, you're out to get them. Uh, so it's, it's something you got to remind yourself as a CMO and, and just remember how to do it and, and do it tactfully. Do, do it tactfully, but also it goes right back to what we were saying right at the start of this episode is uh, being able to communicate in a way that is understandable to the person. That you're, if you're able to communicate ways to improve sales in language that sales understands and respects, then that is going to be taken on board. They're going to trust that advice more. It's, it's not going to come across as, someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, just saying, oh, we need to fix this and it needs to be better. You're, you're showing actual ways things can be improved in a practical way. Absolutely. And, and there are subtle things you can do to, to make sure that people see you as an ally and an advocate. Like even, it's going to sound really silly, but if, if you're in a meeting with a counterpart or a peer physically, sitting on the same side of the table as them, You know, I know that sounds a little bit odd, but some of those like nonverbal cues give somebody an understanding that you're here to help. And I've been in situations where it's the exact opposite. It's like you you walk into a room and there are other C-suite execs sitting across from you with their arms folded like this. Uh, you know, my my first uh, uh, emotion when that happens is, aren't we on the same team, guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're all here to do the same thing and help help our organization win. So I, I think it's incredibly important that you mentioned trust earlier, that you have that level of trust and you're constantly reinforcing that you're just here to help. That's a, that's a really good note, as opposed to sort of, wrap things up with there, Jeff, because that, that is ultimately what the CMO's role is, is it's to help all the other parts of the business succeed in some way, whether it's providing leads for the uh, for the sales team, whether it's providing feedback or uh, promoting the product for product development in certain ways, um, whether it's improving revenue with the CFO. Like, so having all these different parts, it's, it's yeah, um, you've got to be trusted in all those different parts as well. There's no, there's no question about it. And, you know, if, if you're, if you're coming up through the marketing ranks, um, I think it's an incredibly fascinating and very fulfilling job. Uh, and, and while we talked about like, there's a constant critique and there's, there's pressure, 
it comes with the territory. So, you know, when I hear others complaining about it, I'm like, this is what you signed up for, right? <laughs> like, if you don't like what comes along with it, do, do something else. I know that sounds really trite, but I mean, it. it, it you're going to get the critique. Everybody's going to come talk to you about what they don't like about the website or the latest marketing campaign. And they may not have all the information. Uh, and if you're defensive and combative, it's never going to work in your favor. So just accept it for what it is uh, and embrace it and speak again in that currency or that language that is like really resonates with your audience. Uh, definitely, Jeff. I, I was going to ask you for like your golden rule to tie everything together at the end, but that's it right there. Right there, we've had the golden rule. So thank you very much, Jeff. Sorry, I stole your thunder, Will, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of on a roll with that one. Um, I love being on a roll. That's great. I love being on a roll. So yeah. I'm happy for you to steal my thunder. Take my thunder. It's fine. But thank you very much, Jeff. It's been great speaking to you today. I, I've, I've loved our conversation. And I think it's, it's one that's going to be relevant to, as I said, to pretty much every CMO out there, no matter what level you're at, um, any aspiring marketers should be paying attention to this conversation, even just marketers as a whole like, as well. Like, as you said, doesn't matter what level you're at, you need to understand how your efforts fit into the rest of the business. So thank you very much, Jeff. It's been a great conversation. It, it's been wonderful, Will. I really appreciate it. And um, right back at you, I think you're on your way to being the next Johnny Carson or David Letterman <laughs> or or whomever, you're an excellent uh, facilitator and I've, I've loved it. So, um, it, you know, happy to come back and chat with you at any point in the future. Awesome, Jeff. Thank you very much for those kind words. I won't let them go to my head too much. And yeah, <laughs> I look forward to another conversation in the near future. And I'm sure our audience will be looking forward to another conversation. Speaking of our audience, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos.